0: This is a Federal News Network podcast.
1: The pandemic hasn't been especially kind to federal agencies that deal primarily with paper. No. The National Archives and Records Administration houses millions of military and medical documents that veterans need to apply for federal benefits, and most of them are still on paper. Employees at the National Personnel Records Center are handling some records requests, but today the center has about 500,000 pending requests and another 400,000 records that need refiling. Scott Levins is director of the NPRC in St. Louis. In this conversation with Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco, he explains how that backlog accumulated.
0: So NPRC is an office of the National Archives, and it serves as the nation's primary source for military service information that veterans often need to provide evidence of their service, to seek some sort of entitlements like home guarantee loans, health care, disability benefits from the VA, and so forth. And normally we receive and respond to over a million requests a year. Our big challenge is that um, the records that we hold are available in textual paper format and some microfiche but only about 10% of the reference requests that we receive are records that are already available digitally. So during the pandemic, when we've had to implement a number of safeguards to protect our workforce, like most agencies and most uh, private sector companies, one of the primary ways of doing that is you, you implement some sort of occupancy limitation on the building so that there's social distancing inherent in that. And that's proved to be a big challenge for us because Although we've never shut down during the pandemic, we've always had people on site to respond to our most urgent requests. A lot of the routine requests have been piling up because they don't involve digital records and therefore they can't be worked remotely.
1: Can you walk us through your telework program during the pandemic? Obviously, you had to reduce the number of people working on site, but could employees work from home or work partially from home? What was that all like?
0: So from the earliest days of the pandemic, when it was actually the scariest times when there was so much uncertainty about what the virus was really all about, we knew that we always have a certain portion of our requests that involve things that really can't wait. There are emergencies, there are things like burials for deceased Veterans, medical emergencies, or, or homeless veterans seeking shelter. So, as we prepared to decrease occupancy where a lot of other offices were being closed, we knew that we would have to retain some portion of our workforce to handle those kinds of requests. So, throughout the entire pandemic, we've always had about 50 to 60 people at minimum in this building dealing with those types of issues. Throughout the pandemic, we've done a number of things to try to uh, enable people working remotely to support those people that are on site. We use a lot of systems to identify responsive records and order them for pull from our stack areas. Some of that work we were able to do from home. When new reference transactions are received, we've been able to do some of that work remotely as well. And it's been a gradual thing. When we first reduced our capacity, our onsite capacity, you know, back at last in March of 2020, you know, very few of our employees had laptop computers, even let alone the systems to to move digital records um, electronically in a secure way.
1: So you said that you had maybe about 50 to 60 employees on site at all times during the pandemic, more or less. How many people usually would be there, you know, when there isn't a pandemic?
0: 750. Okay. <laughs> so so a, For most of the pandemic, we were operating at less than 10% of our normal occupancy and throughout the pandemic, you know, like the rest of the federal government, we went through some phase reopening and we were able to increase that to 10 percent and then later to 20 percent. Then conditions worsened in the local community and we had to regress back to like our minimum posture. Right now we're operating at 25 percent on site capacity, which uh, my understanding is the norm for federal agencies.
1: So at this point, you have some people working on site, some at home. You've been able to respond to emergency requests, but the routine requests are piling up. What does the backlog look like and what will it take to resolve it, do you think?
0: What I've focused on locally is that, you know, I can't control what happens with the pandemic itself, whether the health conditions are going to improve or worsen, nor can I really control like what the government's going to do in terms of, you know, its reopening plan. So I'm trying to focus on things locally that we can control. And what we really need to do is to make it so that we're able to do this work either on-site or remotely without regard to what the local health conditions are. And for us, that involves getting a lot of records digitized. Some of the things that we did early on, so we had already started working on developing functionality to deliver responses electronically to requesters. And that that might seem like it's not a hard thing to do, but it's, it's, it's a lot more than simply emailing somebody an attachment. The records, as you digitize them, they they're, they can compose large file sizes that aren't conducive to sending via email And also there's personal information in these records, including personal health information in these records. So they have to be transmitted in a very secure manner. So we had already started developing some what we call digital delivery functionality in our production system. And we were able to deploy that not too long after the pandemic started. Then we also shortly thereafter upgraded our um, web application, EVETREX, which is an automated tool that veterans and other stakeholders can use to submit requests to us electronically. So we don't have to receive paper and work with that. The new functionality that we deployed, and this was last October, it included functionality that made the entire process electronic. So you could you could sign digitally where you couldn't do that before. And it also provided users the ability to come back later to check on the status of their request or for third party requesters to upload written authorizations from the veteran to release the record to them, maybe like a veteran's attorney, that sort of thing. So it expanded the scope of users that could, could use that system. In parallel with those efforts, I mentioned before, you know, with the start of the pandemic, our workforce, very few people had laptops. And it was actually inconceivable, to me at least, that this work could ever be done remotely. But in parallel with those efforts, we began the acquisition process to, to purchase laptops and peripherals. Our staff are used to operating with two monitors at all times in the building because there's so many different outputs in the production system. It's hard to imagine working efficiently at home on, you know, a small screen that you would typically see on a laptop. So we, we basically purchased entire kits for them all the equipment they would need to replicate their workspace at home. And as those got deployed, we were actually having a lot more success in getting more and more records um, work remotely. One of the first steps in our business process when a request is received, we prefer that they come in electronically because then we don't have to do as much with them. But, but we still get a lot of requests that are submitted through regular mail or via fax. And one of the first steps in our business process is to digitize those source documents and then create a transaction in our production system, a reference transaction, and attach those source documents to it. Well, throughout the first many months of the pandemic, we couldn't have staff on site to do that work. We did it for the emergency requests, but for the routine requests, those piled up. So what we wound up doing was um, we partnered with the VA to leverage some of its resources. It's had a lot of success digitizing materials in the last decade. And speaking with the VA, they actually have an enterprise-wide mail portal that they use to receive mail, regardless of what office of the VA is going to, Private sector companies digitize that. They put it in a portal that presents it in a logical way to the the proper VA office. And so we leveraged that. We entered into an agreement with the VA, shipped all of our raw mail to a VA scanning vendor, and they're scanning it right now. They're about half the way through all the raw mail that piled up. And now our staff can access that remotely, can create the transactions on our production system and release them into our, our workflow. The biggest things that are left to do, we're adding more staff. We did receive resources to add more capacity. And that's going to be obviously required to get out of the backlog situation. But the biggest obstacle for us is that these records are still paper. They need to be digitized. So we've done some things with the resources we have locally to do some digitization on site. Basically what we have are a portion of the on-site technicians that are working today are going through records and identifying, they're analyzing the request and identifying responsive documents in the record digitizing those so that staff at home can finish working those requests but what we really need is to comprehensively digitize all of our records so that we can make them all available more efficiently and we've got a plan to do that and it again involves working with the VA the VA has received um, funding to work on that their interest lies in making all these records available electronically because it will speed their adjudication cycle time if the records are already available electronically, they won't have to retrieve them from us and digitize them. They'll already have them. So it's, a, it's an issue that will impact both agencies and improve services at both agencies.
1: And just want to clarify, what records are digital at this point and which ones are not?
0: Let me back up a little bit. All of the military departments today create and maintain records electronically. They didn't all start on the exact same date. But generally speaking, if you separated from the military after the year 2002, Pretty sure your record is available electronically. And there are systems that are available to our technicians to access those records and make them available to veterans. There are also systems out there that enable veterans to self service and access those records themselves if they're credentialed for those systems. But if you go back prior to the year 2000, to the beginning of time, basically, The building that I'm sitting in right now, there's 15 warehouses that vary in, each one varies in size between 20,000 to 40,000 square feet. And there are over 2 million boxes of records that are in paper format here. And so what we're doing is for transactions that are available electronically already, our staff is able to work those from home. But most of our reference involves pulling paper out of our warehouse. So what we do is we have staff pulling those paper records, digitizing the documents that are responsive to a specific request. And then staff at home are are servicing the request.
1: Got it. So you mentioned you're using the VA mail system, but how else is the department helping you at this time?
0: They've helped a lot. If you take a look at the work that we perform, pretty much everything that I've been talking about so far is what I would consider to be a correspondence request. And when I talk about the backlog, it's, it's a backlog of correspondence requests. Those are requests from veterans, other members of the public, other stakeholders that require us to pull a record extract information or make reproductions of documents from that record, redact third-party personal information, compose a letter, and send it off to a veteran. It's a very labor-intensive process. But the other business line we have involves furnishing other federal agencies with the temporary loan of original records, and the biggest user there is the VA. Uh, Prior to the pandemic, the VA would come to us and request about 6,300 records a week, and we would just pull the original records and loan it to the VA, The VA's business process involved digitizing those records, ingesting them into their adjudication system, and then staff could adjudicate the claims. When we reduced capacity for the pandemic, like I said before, we never closed. So we continued to work the urgent requests for loans, but the routine ones piled up. And about five months into the pandemic, when you're doing 6,300 a week, they pile up pretty quickly. So about five months into the pandemic, it was not tenable any longer. And VA engaged with us on, you know, what, what could we do to help eliminate that backlog. And one of the things that we did was we actually have staff from the VA that are detailed to the National Archives and who are working in this facility to pull those records. Other things we did involve operating two shifts a day. So we have a morning shift that comes in and then we have an afternoon shift that comes in after them. And that way we can have, we can maximize our occupancy threshold without exceeding our limitation and expand it to 13 hours a day is what we're at right now. We're also working on weekends. We even had a crew in here on Memorial Day on the holiday, tying it to Memorial Day and, and the demand for reference services to support burials for veterans. The VA, as part of its adjudication process, is digitizing records and ingesting them into their adjudication system through the use of private vendors. They're currently setting up a private vendor in this building for that purpose and like i said before our, our plan to go going forward is to have the va digitize not only the records that are the subject of current adjudication claims but also records that are subject to requests from nprc as well
1: now i think at some point maybe earlier this year there was some discussion of the va perhaps administering vaccines to the nara workforce is there anything you can tell us about that
0: one of the many things that nara did to safeguard you know, the health and safety of its workforce, was it designated the staff of NPRC as um, mission critical. And they actually issued letters to these critical infrastructure. I'm sorry, that's the right term. We issued letters to all of our staff that our staff could then use to get prioritization for vaccinations on their own. And then shortly after those letters were issued, we also entered into an agreement with the Veterans Health Administration to make the vaccine available to our employees.
1: I'm wondering if you can tell us more about what you're hoping the Defense Department might be able to help you with.
0: The National Archives recently submitted a request for resources from DOD to help us with, with this backlog situation. And, you know, as you can imagine, when there's a lot of urgent reference demands and you don't have enough capacity to respond to all of them, there's not a whole lot of attention being put on the end of the life cycle, putting the records back in storage. We have resources in the building where most of those resources are going to respond to current demands. So as a result, we've got a large backlog of records that are in need of being refiled. And so they're physical records that we need to be sorted and sequenced, batched up, and then put on carts into a warehouse and and put away. We could also use additional resources for doing some of the digitization until the VA is working on expanding its resources and NARA is working with the VA to develop a technical solution so that we can reference and share the electronic records with the VA, but it's not in place today. So until that's in place, we're going to continue scanning these records on site, as I described earlier, but we could also use DOD resources to do that kind of work as well.
1: And can you tell us what the status of that request is with DOD?
0: Well, the request, in fairness, the request was not submitted very long ago. It was just a few weeks ago. So we haven't heard back from DOD yet. But what we're doing internally at NAR is we've already started to do some of the administrative work to draft agreements so that if they respond favorably, we're ready to go and we don't have any delays or anything like that. But we're still waiting to hear.
1: At this point, as you look at the workload, can you even put a timeline on it, considering it seems like so much depends on the ability to digitize, the ability to work with other agencies, and you know the course of the pandemic, do you have a sense of how long this will all take?
0: Yeah, I mean, we've done some modeling out and we think we could eliminate the backlog in between 18 to 24 months once we have the systems in place to share the records with the VA and the digitization is at full scale. We're bringing on the resources and that's the plan that we're trying to execute right now. During the winter months when the um, local health conditions were at their worst and we were operating about 8% onsite capacity and we, we were still developing the systems and providing the tools for staff to work remotely, we were generally servicing about 2,500 requests per week currently we're we've increased that to consistently over 10,000 requests a week so the backlog's reached a point where it's leveled off it's not growing any further but what we need to do is you know reverse the trend and start bringing it down and we do that by leveraging technology and additional resources at the same time one of the things that we've done long before the pandemic and we'll continue to do going forward is when correspondence requests are received we lump them into one of two categories it's either a request for a separation document from a veteran which is pretty easy, low-level labor to work, and it's also ones that are most likely related to entitlements. And so we ingest those ahead of other pending cases, and we think we could eliminate that portion of the backlog within about nine months. And that's the portion that involves veterans seeking benefits. We also get a lot of requests from other members of the public, some doing genealogy, some doing research projects, um, scholars, things like that.
1: You talked a little bit about the transition to telework at the beginning of all of this and that you eventually brought on the technology that your employees needed to work remotely. But I guess I'm just wondering what that shift was like just from a managerial standpoint. I mean, how did you manage employees working remotely for perhaps the first time and and what feedback are you getting from them about that experience?
0: It's a challenge. And I think right now people, I've certainly realized, and I think a lot of the workforce is realizing that As challenging and as frustrating as it's been throughout the pandemic, that because of the things that we're doing now, we're going to come out of this more efficient than we ever were at any time prior to that. But we're still learning some of the lessons about about telework. I mentioned that one of the things that's part of our recovery plan is to hire more capacity. But we're in the process of hiring over 100 staff members. And one of the challenges that we're facing is how we're going to get them trained to do this work when if I bring them into the building to train them, then I'm reducing the number of people in the building I can have doing the value added work. So it's going to be some sort of hybrid of training that will be done on site. And a lot of it will be done remotely as well. So for all of the folks in our operation who are involved in training staff, that's going to be a huge challenge. The agency itself. I mean, we're one of the smallest agencies in government. And we're going to need to invest in some um, infrastructure on our network because the network is not accustomed to the demands that we're going to be placing on it by moving large electronic records back and forth, things like that. But the question I'm asked most is, you know, once the pandemic is behind us, will we still be able to telework? And I'm I'm pretty sure we're not going to invest all the resources into digitizing records and equipping staff with the tools they need to work at home, only to tell them all to get back to the office. I'm sure it will be some sort of hyper approach when the pandemic is behind us. And I'm excited about the efficiencies that we're going to gain by doing the remote work, or at least by... I should say by dealing with electronic records instead of paper records. One of the biggest headaches for our technicians is when they, when a veteran asks for a complete copy of their record. They have to reproduce the entire record. And what a lot of people don't realize is that there is third-party personal data all over those records. If you served in the Vietnam era and you ever went for a medical treatment, the doctor or nurse that saw you, they had a stamp. They stamped on your document. It has their social security number on there. If you were issued general orders, you were issued general orders for you, but also for, you know, 100 or 200 other soldiers. And the names and social security numbers are listed on there. So our staff, when they make the reproductions, they have to manually redact all that information. But when we're dealing with electronic records, it's a lot easier to manage those redactions. There's systems that can be used to do it automatically or there's systems you can just do with your mouse. It'll be much more efficient.
1: Any other efficiencies that you foresee with the direction that you're moving forward that you might want to mention?
0: Well, another obvious one is that, you know, when when you have a paper record, it can only be in one person's hand at a time. And a lot of times, especially when requests are urgent, a desperate veteran will write to us, but, you know, as a precaution, they'll also write to their congressman and their senator. This was years ago, but we once had a situation where we had 33 different requests involving the same veteran come in at the same time. He was a Navy veteran who had just gotten out of the service and he applied for medical schools all over the country. And all of them were looking to verify his employment in the Navy. So they were all coming in at the same time. And fortunately, we have our system marries those together and puts them all to the same technician. But if there's a situation, I mean, it's not uncommon at all for a veteran to write to us for a copy of their record, but then to also file a disability claim with the VA. And if the VA gets that record before we do, well, then we don't have it. So when they're electronic, you know, both parties will have access to the same record at the same time. It'll make it a lot easier. Another good tip for veterans is to not, if you're contemplating submitting a claim to the VA, go do that. Don't let your access to the records through our office hold that up. The VA has a duty to assist veterans. And, you know, our services to the Veterans Benefits Administration are as good or better than they were prior to the pandemic. So if you submit your disability claim to the VA, the VA is going to request the record from us. We're going to have it to the VA in a matter of days. But if you write to us because you think you need to present documents to the VA, then you might have your claim delayed. Most of our staff work here because they're committed to serving veterans. They're not here to get wealthy. They're here because they know that this is some of the most important work that is performed in government. And they take pride in knowing that this work makes a real difference in the lives of veterans and their families. And about a third of our workforce are veterans themselves. And the head of our agency, David Ferriero, who's the Archivist of the United States, um, he's a Vietnam veteran himself, and he understands the importance of this work, and he doesn't take it lightly. We all know the current situation is untenable, and we're all eager to resolve the backlog that's grown during the pandemic. But at the same time, the agency couldn't be prouder of the people that have been working on site throughout the pandemic, even during the scariest times, nor could they be more committed to their health.
1: Scott Levins, director of the National Personnel Records Center, speaking with Federal News Network's Nicole Grisco. Check out Nicole's story at federalnewsnetwork.com.
2: Welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Rick Wade, Senior Vice President of Strategic Alliances and Outreach at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Previously, Rick was a Senior Advisor and Deputy Chief of Staff to Secretary of Commerce Gary Locke. He worked closely with the Obama Administration, and he also worked with Commerce's Economic Development Administration to foster regional economic development in distressed areas and with the Minority Business Development Agency to create jobs through the growth of minority-owned businesses. He received a B.S. from the University of South Carolina and an M.P.A. from Harvard University. Rick, welcome, and thanks so much for joining me.
3: Thank you so much for having me. look forward to the conversation. terribly difficult challenge. One of the other defining uh, moments, I think, in our time uh, that has dictated uh, a change in leadership, if you will, uh, was the murder of George Floyd. I think it created a whole different consciousness uh, in America, and certainly within me, uh, about the importance of being empathetic uh, in, uh, in, in the way I lead, to be inclusive, uh, to, be, uh, uh, to, to lead in a way uh, in which you're very sensitive to the impact of your decisions.
2: I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Thank you for listening to today's Lessons in Leadership podcast. And until we see you next time, take good care.
3: Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at pluralsight.com/vision.
0: This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second, confirm you've entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person,